Hello and welcome to the Tax Bite, BDO's tax podcast for the UAE. My name is Brian Conn and I'm joined by my colleague Ashish Atavali. Um, hi Ashish. Hi Brian, how are you? Very good indeed. Now, today we're continuing our series of podcasts on the UAE's new corporate tax. And what we're looking at are some of the special rules in the CT law that deal with particular types of body or organisation, namely partnerships, family foundations and public benefit organisations. That that last one covers a whole host of organisations like charities and schools um, and health providers. But we're going to that in more detail later. We'll start with the partnerships. Um, What we're particularly looking at is unincorporated partnerships. Um, A partnership that is set up with some sort of incorporation, like a, a limited liability partnership, is just treated as any other entity for CT. But unincorporated partnerships are, are just a, a contractual arrangement between the, the individual partners. There's no entity there. So um, we sit, need some special rules. So we've got um, something special in the law to, to deal with that, don't we, Ashish? That's right, Brian. And, uh, you know, I would say that from this uh, topic, uh, they have clarified to a certain uh, degree that how these unincorporated uh, partnerships shall be taxed. So there will be two options over there. First option is that because the unincorporated uh, JV is not a juridical person, so there is no license. Okay, naturally, the uh, means the partners to this unincorporated joint venture will subject will be subjected to corporate tax on the basis of their individual incomes rather than being subjected to taxes as you know as a whole or as one unincorporated uh, joint venture so that's that's the first option second option is of course and i would say that it is uh, you know a specifically an option which has to be opted by way of an election where all the joint venture partners of this unincorporated joint venture have to come together and agree and then make an application uh, to the FTA seeking, uh, you know, a specific registration from a corporate tax perspective for this unincorporated joint venture. By doing this, uh, uh, you know, very logical to say is that they will have to create separate books, a standalone to that of the individual uh, joint venture partners, but to this joint venture itself. And then the revenue and the expenses of uh, this unincorporated joint venture shall be subjected to tax. And naturally, once, once the profits are subjected to tax at the unincorporated joint venture level, then the, the distribution or, or, or the flows out from the unincorporated joint venture uh, to the joint venture partners in the hands of the joint venture partners should ideally be considered as exempted. 
So these are the two things that uh, you know the the corporate tax law uh, speaks about the unincorporated partnerships. Yeah, it's it, it's quite interesting, isn't it? The, that second option that you were talking about there, where um, effectively the the unincorporated partnership is just treated like a a single taxable person um, is maybe in some ways sounds like the the most straightforward. Um, so under the the first option, um, all of the income and the assets are apportioned between the the, the partners, um, and then effectively they would then do their own tax returns. That's right, Brian. Uh, while while from a compliance perspective, okay, it's 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 like you know creating a totally separate books or financial records for this unincorporated joint venture, which you rightly said is more so a, a, a more so an allocation of the individual partners revenue and expenses but still there is a requirement to prepare financial statements whether they need to be audited or no is not really known at this point of time but you will have to use uh, you know uh, some specific accounting standards uh, for this and create audited financials just a specific word of caution uh, to all the listeners is that that once you do that if if you are a part of an unincorporated joint venture and you have you have elected to be subjected to the tax as an unincorporated joint venture then your documentation is very important because having handled these assessments in jurisdictions where we have corporate tax what we have observed is that that the tax authorities would usually like to see the invoicing uh, on the outward side as well as on the inward side on the expenses that that these expenses coming in should be addressed to the unincorporated joint venture otherwise if there are billings or invoices addressed to individual joint venture partners and you are claiming a deduction of that from a corporate tax perspective in 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 your return for the unincorporated joint venture then it may be disallowed because of the documentational lapse so so whoever is is you know electing for this option first of all they have to be convinced that by going through this option it could be an optimal tax outflow and the second is the documentation is the key for this yeah i think um uh, the accounting is going to be um crucial and this is another area i think um you mentioned there we will need some more guidance i think from the the fta as to exactly how unincorporated partnerships should keep their records what sort of records should be um Kept. Um, one one thing I would say, um, I, I guess, and again, we would need some guidance on this. But presumably, if um, unincorporated partners are each individually accounting for their share of the tax, then presumably they will get the three hundred and seventy-five thousand um, threshold, um, the same as any other individual business. We don't know yet. Um, but um, that's a possibility. So that that might make it worthwhile for for those partners to to be 
taxed effectively separately. I don't know. Have you heard anything on on that front, Ashish? Uh, that's right, Brian. So as you know, I said earlier that whether if the joint venture partners would want to be subjected to tax at the JV level, then then the simulation or the computation from the tax perspective should be done in order to determine what is optimal because as you rightly said okay the basic the basic threshold exemption will be applicable severally if it is not one unincorporated joint venture going to be subjected to tax if it is one then of course uh, the the 370 Fifty-five thousand can be applied only once. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting topic. It, uh, I think partnerships need to to be um, keeping their eye out for further guidance on that and thinking about how they're going to be uh, accounting for the tax because it's not going to be straightforward. And anywhere that you've got an option to make, um, it's a question of of deciding which is best for the partnership overall and and the individual partners. And that's next, right, Brian. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just one more point over here. Maybe you will be able to throw some light as as uh, you know you uh, you have handled also the VAT implementation. So what we have seen is that as a part of the VAT law, uh, we have seen that a couple of uh, you know unincorporated joint ventures are registered for VAT. So, so we have got several queries from them, and they are very curious to know that whether having a VAT registration as one will automatically uh, trigger them to have one corporate tax registration. So, this is also an important area which uh, which would need some intervention from the FTA side. It absolutely would. I'm guessing that um, it, it ought to be possible for. Um, each tax to to operate separately, but who knows? And I think, as you say, we probably need some guidance in due course as to to how that will be treated. Um, anyway, let's um, we we've talked quite a bit about unincorporated partnerships. Let's move on to family foundations um, because this has some some um, similarities in that um, the law allows these family foundations to be treated as if they were unincorporated partnerships. A family foundation is defined in the tax law, and this is um, in the, the, the first um, definitions of the tax law, as, as a foundation or trust that is set up to protect the savings or, or wealth of individuals. So um, this type of structure it can take many, many forms. Um, but essentially, at, at the base of the structure, we have a number of individuals and maybe one individual um, who are acting not necessarily in a, in a business manner. Um, it is simply their own personal wealth and savings that's being managed by the trust. So that that potentially creates some some tax problems and some need for some special rules. That's right, Brian. So as uh, you would know that uh, you know i mean the jurisdictions where there is i mean like a corporate tax law or a tax which is there on the profits uh, these are i would say mature structures which are created uh, you know where uh, you know where 
usually the owner of the wealth or the properties would like some kind of a professional intervention to manage okay uh, uh, means manage the funds or maybe manage the properties in an effective way so that it uh, you know is uh, is getting taken care of and it becomes a, a you know a wealth generating asset for the future generations so uh, if the overall objective of the foundation or the trust is the furtherance of the personal wealth of an individual or more so a natural person okay without any specific objective of you know carrying it on as a business and more so not open ideally uh, you know to the third parties or the public at large then yes you know amisa foundations have uh, you know are these uh, specific uh, means i would say creatures of law which which typically enjoy exemptions from a corporate tax perspective as well but having said that uh, i would say that there is a little bit more clarity that we are awaiting in 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 this regard and specifically uh, you know the circumstances or the cases uh, you know as you uh, you know rightly pointed out under which a foundation or a trust may take the color of an unincorporated partnership yeah indeed i i expect there will be some uh, some practical rules that will be set out in in one of the cabinet decisions i think um the overall purpose here i think it's it's quite clear it's to make sure that the foundation um isn't trust it isn't um taxed as if it was a business when the actual overall purpose at the end of the day is is just protecting individual investments and and wealth so it's a it's it's quite a a sensible sort of approach i think and what they're saying is that you can treat it as if it was an unincorporated partnership so you can look through it so that each of the the um individual beneficiaries can um, consider their own position in CT and provided they just hold these things for personal purposes, then they're not subject to CT. Um, so it's a way of ensuring that um, this, the tax isn't unfairly applied to, to those individuals. But as you say, I, I, I do think we will um, in due course get a little bit more um, in terms of guidance and rules around how this will work in in practice. That's right, Brian. And and just just maybe a closing comment over there uh, from the trusts and the family foundations perspective. Uh, you know, as as we are going to look at a corporate income tax, but fortunately not a personal income tax. So it will be very interesting to watch this space when maybe individuals are our partners to unincorporated joint ventures and similarly our trustees or maybe the the beneficiaries for the foundations because as we don't have a personal income tax which will kind of leave out the profits of individual out of the corporate tax net it will be very important to understand this aspect yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's move on to the 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 last group of organisations that we want to talk about today, uh, and these are, are called in the in the law um, qualifying public benefit entities. Um, and there's a there's quite a long definition in the law, Article Nine of the Decree Law, 
Um, and, and basically these entities that are set up for charitable, scientific, artistic, cultural, athletic, educational, healthcare, environmental, humanitarian, animal protection, and similar. So quite a, a, a lot of organisations, and it also covers um, professional um, organisations, chambers of commerce, and similar, provided they're set up for social welfare and public benefit. Now, these organisations have an exemption from tax, uh, which sounds very good if you're in any of those areas, but there's lots of conditions, aren't there, Ashish? That's right, Brian. So this is uh, one of the, I mean, so I would say, articles of the corporate tax law where, where uh, we have got several queries and inquiries from the public at large as well, where uh, given the uh, means, I think so, the span or maybe the expanse of the coverage, as you also took some time to list them down, and it ends by saying other similar activities. So most of the businesses who are a kind of, uh, you know, having an element of a public benefit are trying to tend, uh, you know, uh, towards uh, this specific Article 9 and saying that we will be exempted from corporate tax. And just to name a few, if, if they are going to be hospitals, if they are going to be uh, schools or the like, okay, which which have an element of a public benefit, but at the same time they could be set up for for profit. Means they are set up as a business, and and uh, shareholders are actually getting the benefit out of that. So in these circumstances, rather premature to say, but it is most likely that that such organizations may not form uh, may not fall within the purview of the public benefit entity. And at the same time, okay, what is coming out from the law is that if you have to be, uh, you know, enjoying this, there should be some kind of an application which needs to be made to the FTA and they have to approve and ideally your name should be listed in one of the cabinet decisions or the ministerial decisions for you to enjoy this exemption. So uh, while they have tried to keep it you know, open, but unfortunately at this point of time, there is very limited clarity and very stringent, I mean, the conditions for you to really get covered under this qualifying public benefit entity exemption yeah absolutely I, I mean those those conditions are very very narrow uh, and they include for example um the condition that the income and assets of the the organization have to be exclusively used for the furtherance of that um activity and the in particular there can be no personal benefit to shareholders or trustees or um, founders, settlers or owners, anybody involved in the organisation. So they really have to be absolutely um, dedicated to those activities and no sort of private ownership or private benefit coming from them. Now, what that means is, seems to me, is that um, there will only be a, a, a few entities that, that qualify or a, a small category of entities. It's more or less things that are um, provided or linked to government or 100% um, non-profit 
that will benefit. And, you know, for example, schools that have any sort of private ownership won't qualify. Um, so there was a lot of people that could potentially think this might be for them that I think will possibly di be disappointed. And I think in particular, as you mentioned, um, it's not a matter anyway of just seeing if you fit into the conditions, um, because it is intended that there will be a list of people that do qualify. So although this is a very wide scope, potentially, uh, the number of organisations that will qualify for the exemption seems to me to be quite limited. That's right, Brian. And last and not the least, if if uh, you know there are certain businesses in a large business house of which some of say schools or some of which are hospitals, and if those are different licenses, okay, and if if for some reason they uh, they get an exemption by qualifying as a qualifying public benefit entity. Uh, one point to note is that then the corporate tax grouping may not be possible. So, uh, you know, uh, while, uh, you know, while there will not be application of tax as such, okay, but it will be worthwhile to see that what will be the degree of the compliances, whether there will still be a need to file a return and report income and show that income as exempted. So all these things also would come into play. So, uh, at this point of time, uh, while while your business may qualify to be one of these ones which are not subjected to corporate tax or exempted from corporate tax, I would say that if there is an option, please uh, you know please conduct uh, some numerical simulation or cost benefit analysis. Maybe at times it it could just make sense to be subjected to CT than to claim exemption for the business overall yeah excellent last point there and um it's it's very important not to take any of these things for for granted it's important to do that that assessment to to make sure you know exactly how the business is going to be impacted and, and where the benefit is so um yeah it's a it's an interesting and, and very large topic we've probably come to the end of our time now so I hope everybody listening in has enjoyed uh, what we've been talking about, found it interesting. Uh, as I said at the start, this is just one of a series of podcasts. You can find all the rest on our website and, and also you'll find all the updates and articles on CT and all the other taxes. So, so check in there uh, to keep updated. So um, thank you very much, Ashish. Um, and um, thanks to everybody for, for listening. Thank you, Brian. Thanks.